welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello, hello, my friends. Uh, it is I, Mariah Kamei, for Air DNA, and I am excited for you to listen to our latest episode in the STR Data Lab podcast. I sat down with the top one percenter, aka Adam Nelson, to talk a little bit about his journey to short-term rental investment and success. This guy has got a lot of great nuggets for you all. He started in the real estate business back when he was 22. As you know, I wish I had started back then too. Learned a lot of valuable lessons. Spoiler alert, he's not 22 anymore. And through the course of his 15 years of investing in real estate has a lot of lessons to impart upon you. I loved his approach to diversifying your portfolio, how he went about finding the right market for a short-term rental investment. Again, spoiler alert, he did not just look at the places he wanted to go on vacation. He really was very pragmatic and objective about choosing his market and what he's looking forward to in 2023. And, you know, of course, what he's also feeling maybe a little bit of um, trepidation around in 2023. So lots of realistic pragmatic advice. Um, he talks a lot about worst case scenario planning versus best case scenario planning. If you are about to get into this business, want to get into this business, or are just looking for ways to diversify your real estate investment strategy, please take a listen to the conversation I had with Adam Nelson. All right, on to the show. Hello, hello, Adam Nelson, how are you? Or should I should I say the top one percenter? You can call me the top one percenter. Adam Nelson's just fine too. But top one percenter, it started about a year and a half ago and it's just caught on. I don't know why, but it's been it's become a cool brand for me, I guess. I like it. No, it works. It's very memorable. I love the logo in the background, my friend. Nice right? done. Yeah. We're we're going all in. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. And also subtle branding. I'm always, I'm mm -hmm. always, a fan. I'm always. A fan. Yep. Well, in, in addition to talking to you about your amazing branding, which yes, thank you for indulging me in that as the VP of marketing. Uh, I do care deeply about it. I have brought you on the podcast today to talk about your investment business. And I always just like to start with the basics. I like, it's like, it's kind of like armchair therapy. I'm just like, Adam, talk to me. How did we get to this place, man? What possessed you to get into this business? Yep. So it's kind of a long time building up to this point, right? Obviously, real estate and investing doesn't happen overnight. And I've been in the sales industry and been a sales professional for 16 years now, right? And I've always been interested in real estate. I think everybody that's listening to this is interested somewhat in real estate. They understand that wealth is created through real estate, right? And so I was the same way at 22 years old. I was starting to make professional income in sales. And uh, I saw other people buying real estate. So I decided to just jump in. And this is in 2008, 2009, right? Not wow. the best time to jump wow. into real estate. But uh, I got my first condo. So I, I house hacked it you know, put as little money down as I possibly could. And all my rent, all my uh, roommates paid my mortgage, paid my rent, you know, through college. So I jumped into real estate really young and, you know, started seeing how cash flow worked and, and, you know, paying down mortgages and paying down your principal work and seeing appreciation. Unfortunately, I learned a valuable lesson that there are, you know, uh, ups and downs in the real estate market. And I saw a huge downturn, you know, in 2008, 2009. So 
you know, I lost $160,000 worth of equity, you know, overnight as soon as I bought that property. But I learned the long lesson. You hold on to that property for, for 10 years, 12 years, and the market comes back and all of a sudden I was up about 200 grand. And so, you know, my real estate knowledge started at a really young age and I, and I learned those tough lessons young, that the real estate game is not a quick game, but if you're patient with it, you know, it's really hard to screw up and in the long run, you're, you're going to be all right. And so that's kind of how my real estate, you know, gig started. Obviously, primary residence owners, you know, that kind of stuff. But to get to this point where I'm on, on the podcast with our DNA, <laughs> you know, I think everybody is kind of in the same position I was in. I knew I wanted to be in real estate. I didn't know what type of real estate I was going to do. So I was researching everything, all different types of real estate. And I was watching right. all different types of podcasts. And I started doing house hacking for my first couple, meaning I put as little money as possible down, used it as a primary residence, and then eventually turned it into a rental property. And then went and bought a new primary residence, turning it into another rental, rental property, right? Right. Great way to start in real estate. Right. Then I moved to these fixer uppers and I started burring these properties. So I was doing older single family homes, putting money into them, fixing them up, you know, and do, getting rent in them and refinancing them. And that was fun too, but it was really slow to build up yeah. and scale. And for very little cash flow, a lot of work. So I got into multifamily and I started doing fourplexes and fiveplexes. And again, a lot of work good cash flows in, in your balance and you're diversified with your cash flows and you're, you know, you're making sure there's always tenants in there. But I saw with my multifamily properties and I still see with my multifamily properties, there's always something that's going on that's taking away some of that cash flow, right? There's, there's so much hands-on stuff right. you got to fix or repair with multifamilies. And so on my checklist, I had Airbnb and I, was, I knew I wanted to do Airbnbs of some sort. And so I started researching other people that were doing Airbnbs. I started figuring out how they're analyzing properties and how they're finding good markets. And every single time I stumbled upon somebody that was doing something, I noticed they were using this tool called AirDNA, right? <laughs> and the first thing that, that I stumbled upon was the AirDNA kind of blog, their, their list of top 100 markets. And I became obsessed with that list. And I started researching every market that was on that list and uh, seeing markets where, hey, this is close enough to me. I think I could invest here and I could you know, manage this fairly easy without having to buy a flight and fly out there and research the market and that right, kind of stuff. Right. And so you know, I finally found a market in Oklahoma. I'm in Dallas. So I found a market in Oklahoma that was on the list. And I was like, hey, this looks like a cool market. I'm going to go rent up there and rent a couple Airbnbs and, and learn the market. And my family loved it. And so uh, I fell in love with the market and decided to go in on my first cabin and, uh, you know, did my own analysis on finding my own property and, you know, that kind of stuff. And looked at the AirDNA stats and found out, you know, that this, this could be a profitable investment and uh, jumped into my first cabin. You know, we can talk about the results of that first cabin, but uh, I just closed on my second cabin up there now. So in, in less than a year, we've done uh, two cabins over $2 million worth of properties. Um, and so we're building my business up in, in Oklahoma with these Airbnbs now. Oh my gosh. I love that. I So there's so much, so much to unpack there, but what <laughs> I loved about that, but by the way, very succinct, thank you, was this sort of this idea. First of all, I am still always in deep admiration for anyone. And you know, you're not the only one, but there's like this small group of people that I don't know what possessed them. When I was 22, I think I was a little bit more focused on a few other things. And I, so I love that you were 22 when you were like, 
no, this would make sense. Like, I wish I could go in my time machine and just go back to that time in my life and be like, if you just had bought a condo, you would have, you would have been so much better. Like now I'm in my forties thinking about that first step, which was yeah. primary ownership, rent, primary ownership. <laughs> yep. So, but a key takeaway there for me is that one, you started early. Yes. You had a couple of, sounds like tough lessons that you learned, right? You lost some money, but you got back up off of your feet. You realized that, you know, this is a long game that you're playing, right? It's not, there's highs, there's lows. There's different areas. And I think what I imagine is you were sort of building confidence as you went. And I love that you were testing out different strategies, right? You were like, let's start with a single family, again, primary ownership. Let's move into fix and flip. Let's do multifamily. And then finally, you were like, um, let's get into cabins. So is that sort of still your strategy? Have you sort of diversified yourself across? You know, I, I, I want to call it the grand slam of real estate. I don't know if I can coin phrase that right for top one percenter, <laughs> but the only other one that I'm interested in trying still is commercial real estate. I haven't jumped into commercial yet, right? Um, right. Warehouses or whatnot. And so uh, I'm still diversified over all those all those different types of real estate. Obviously, I have my favorites and the ones that feel like they're more effort than they're worth and, you know, that kind of stuff. But they're all good. Um, you just need to find the type of investment that you can afford to do. You know, it's hard to go. It's hard to go buy a million dollar cabin when it's your first investment. No, right? yeah. I needed to start with primary residence and house hacking, and then I needed to work up to burring, and then I could get into multifamilies. And so it's it's hard to go just jump right into buying multifamilies, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. um, and so the or or Airbnb sometimes, but you know, you just have to learn where you're at and and see what you can pre qualify for. And then you, you'll find your niche and, and what you actually enjoy doing. And so I've found for myself the type of tenants I'm dealing with, type of uh, shopping I get to do. I love that it's kind of a lifestyle asset with Airbnbs where mm -hmm. if there is a problem with it, a pipe burst or I need to change out the locks or something happened to the cabin where it requires my attention. Right. I can tell my wife and kids, hey, we got to go to Oklahoma and I got to go to work for a minute uh, <laughs> uh, where I can't take my kids to Indianapolis to go see my apartment complex. You know, it's, that's not a very fun trip for them. So, uh, you know, I, that's why I do love Airbnbs is it's kind of a lifestyle asset and, and you're de dealing with a different type of problem and a different type of, you know, customer, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think like for some people, it probably offers them a nice peace of mind that they have a steady renter, you know, like I have, I have a renter in one of my properties. They're probably never leaving. Like it's, you know, we've, we've decided they're probably the renters for life. There's some consistency there, but at the same hand on Air, Airbnb or short-term rental, right? You get this opportunity to sort of like have something that maybe is a little bit more transactional, but you're meeting new people, you're getting to um, experience new folks. And Hey, if it doesn't work out with one guest, you're on to the next one pretty quickly. So I love all of that. I always love that adage and I'm not, we're, I'll put it in the show notes, guys. Uh, but there's that famous quote, right? Like it, it takes me one hour and 20 years of experience to do what I do. So I think that's really practical advice for somebody that's maybe just thinking about starting their investment or starting to become a host is, you know, you don't have to go and spend, blow a, blow a million dollars on a property um, just because you know, you see Adam doing it, right? Like start at something that feels reasonable to you, that is comfortable, that maybe is a little bit lower risk and work your way into a bigger investment, which sounds like what you did. 100%. And some of the the new Airbnbs that I'm looking at doing, and I'm using AirDNA, AirDNA as my tool, 
is inner inner city Airbnbs instead of these cabins out in you know in the middle of nowhere because you can do the same thing. You can burr an older home, a fixer upper that's in a good area, so you can take advantage of that skill set you learn with doing burrs and fixer uppers, and then turn it into a quality Airbnb. And so you, you know you can do that on a three hundred thousand dollar home and fix it up to a five hundred thousand dollar home, and it can very profitable Air, Airbnb or VRBO. And, you know, RDNA gives you those tools to, to research those as well. So you don't have to only do million dollar cabins like I've done up in Oklahoma. And that's, I feel like how I'm going to diversify it in the future is I love the Airbnb, Airbnb model, but I also love the fixer uppers and cap, capturing $200,000 worth of equity when right. you fix them up and you put a quality get or you know, a quality tenant in them. Right. Right. And so you sure. can use that knowledge and skill set as you learn the different types of real estate. Yeah, I love that. And I had one guest on that was talking about how he does. He looks at like so midtown properties because he wants something that has some flexibility. So if he needs to adjust his investment strategy and maybe it's not a great time to do a long term rental, it's a better time to do Airbnb or vice versa, that he can have that flexibility. And I did want to talk a little bit about that because I think that you, Adam, did something really smart that we've talked about before, which is like, folks tend to kind of put some subjectivity into selecting a market to invest in, right? So they think, oh, I really, I would like to be able to vacation in Florida. So maybe I'll buy a place in Florida and it has sort of this dual purpose. And what we've talked about before, which I think is more what along the lines of what your strategy was, is no, like take a look at the top performing markets, maybe proximity, maybe like like you were saying, your your family does actually enjoy going to Oklahoma and we'll we'll talk about where we should go in Oklahoma next. Okay. But don't make that the determining factor. Think about where you're going to make the most return on investment. Think about a place. So it's often, you know, it may not be that sexy destination that you were thinking of. Um, it may be something like, hell, Oklahoma and a cabin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I love that you're taking a look at the data, which very much you know, is is telling us that, you know, we're hoping that urban is sort of make, starting to make that recovery that it wasn't before. And you're mm-hmm. looking at places outside of sort of these mountain de- lake destinations, which have traditionally performed well, um, but maybe starting to soften. So you are absolutely, I, I'm guessing, looking at sort of what's happening with supply, what's happening with demand. We make that easy for folks. Yes, this is a shameless plug through our sort of best places to invest report, which we issue every year helps people sort of narrow that down so they're not looking at the entire universe and trying to pick a place. Absolutely. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And in that list, again, it just gives you buyer's confidence. You know, as as an investor. I love that. Nobody has all the answers. And if you think anybody has all the answers, they don't. All you can do is minimize your risk by finding tools and resources that give you a little bit uh, more buyer's confidence instead of just shooting in the dark. And AirDNA, I, I know this is a plug for AirDNA, but it really isn't. It's just, that's what it gave me is that buyer's confidence. And there's a lot of blogs. There's a lot of reviews that tell you where you can you, you can invest in Airbnbs. And there's a lot of different tools than AirDNA, but I just found AirDNA very useful and, and the blog's great, great data point as a just starting point of research and building up that buyer's confidence. I love that. Yeah, that, that peace of mind and that confidence that you're making a very informed decision you're not making it a subjective decision. You're taking a little bit of the emotionality or sort of what you've heard on the street out of it. And you're using data, whether it's ours or not. Um, we certainly recommend that approach. Yeah. All right. So so tell me real quick, because then I want to I want to talk about the future because we're, we're barreling towards 2023 as we record this. Where am I taking my kids in Oklahoma? What is what are we doing in Oklahoma other than going to your cabin? 
So there's there's so many places. This is what's crazy. So I'm in Dallas. And the reason why Oklahoma and Arkansas make sense, there's there's so many lake towns in, in these states, right? And so I'm particular in, in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. And it's just because it's three hours away. Right. Middle of nowhere. There's nothing to do there. And so it feeds Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and all the way down to Louisiana. Got it. And so I like everywhere from... Oklahoma to any any lakes in Arkansas. And so you can look at all these different lake cities. And if you look them up on AirDNA and actually pull the market research in all these markets, I feel like they're very strong markets. They're not very seasonal. And so there's not just the ski season or just the summer season. That's a great factor. You know, people are looking for fall getaways, spring getaways, lake getaways, and winter retreats, you know, Christmas getaways, Thanksgiving getaways. And so they're not seasonal. They're trying to get out of these big cities and go a little bit more rural and country and, and where there's trails and lakes and that kind of stuff. So that's what I love about Ar- Arkansas and Oklahoma is there's so many little uh, golden pockets of lake towns where you can get a nice little lake cabin and it's not seasonal. Those are the, the two things I like most about them. That's such a great key takeaway. I love that. So it's sort of, it's built for longevity because you do have these places that really are only, there's a season to them. And if you can't maximize your revenue in that season, you're a little bit SOL, as they say. Yeah. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. And then to your point, like uh, I used to live in New York City, right? And there were only so many places you could go that were a short drive if you wanted to get into nature, right? (laughs) Yep. so that's a great strategy. I love that. Um, well, thank you. All right, my friends. So we talked. You talked a little bit about what you're thinking about for next year. I think already. You talked about diversifying your portfolio, not just focusing on mountain lake destinations. Getting into sort of maybe more cities and urban locations. What else is on your radar? What are you? I guess I'll phrase it two ways. Okay. I'll, I'll we'll start with the positive. What is? What's one thing you're looking forward to in 2023? And then we'll we'll do the opposite. Already looking forward to 2023 is if you're researching markets right now, right? If you're in the, if you're just watching prices, prices are dropping and interest rates are going up, which is good. That's fine as an investor, right? Because we know there's going to be balance there. And right now you can be extremely picky and make an offer and negotiate prices down from motivated sellers. And so if you're looking to get into your first Airbnb or if you're looking to get your second or third or whatever, it's an exciting time to be shopping because market or the you're not buying cabins before they're even listed and you're paying over asking price like we were a couple of years ago or a year ago. And so we're, we're back to a little bit more normal. So what I'm doing right now is I'm sitting and ready to you know make offers on cabins in these areas. Or locally, I've already contacted some local realtors and told them exactly what I'm looking for Love it. on these inner city, you know, type homes in direct locations and saying, hey, if you find one at this price point and we feel like we can fix it up and it can be worth this price point, you know, buying it for around 300 and after fixing it up, it can be worth 500. Let me know. I'm interested. And so I've already put my fillers out there and understand exactly what I'm waiting for and looking for. And I feel like this will probably be one of the best years ever to pick up a discounted cabin or a discounted property great Airbnb, you know, cash on cash return. And uh, yes, you might be a little higher interest rate and we don't have a crystal ball on how long these interest rates are going to be at six and 7%. But if the numbers make sense at 7% and you can get a 10% or a 20% cash on cash return still with those numbers, when you can refinance out of that, you know, it's going to be incredible. You're going to get 30, 40% cash on cash returns. So 
if you can plug in the numbers and and do a little bit of research, it's a great time in 2023 to be picking up some property. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I love that. Um, yeah, and there's you know there's always opportunity no matter what the market is doing. I'm looking forward to housing prices going down too. You'll do a better job than I will. But just real quick, Adam, for our audience, what does cash on cash return mean, my friend? Okay, so it is an example. If you put two hundred thousand dollars down on a property, right, to to buy property at twenty percent down on maybe a million dollar loan, right? I'm $200,000 in. If the property brings in $100,000, that's a 20% cash on cash return. So uh, I need to see, that's kind of the number I'm going for is, is 20% with Airbnbs. So if, it, if I'm putting in you know $200,000 down, uh, um, I need to make that 20% back and that's your cash on cash return. All right. So real quick on this cash on cash return math for all of you data nerds out there. What Adam was saying is that if he puts 200K into a property, he makes 100K and then his expenses after expenses, it will net 40K a year. That is a 20 percent cash on cash return. Just so we cleared that up for you, making sure that you didn't think there was a 50 percent cash on cash return. He's factoring all expenses in before calculating that 20%. All right, let's keep going. Love that. Thank you. That was very well stated. Not to get negative, but just for a second, what's something you're not looking forward to in 2023? I think it's just there's a, a lot of unknowns, right? And so we didn't think that the interest rates would go as high as they were, right? Everybody said, hey, it's just going to flatten out. It's going to be normalized here in a little bit. Give it some time. The unknown scary for everybody, but when when there's unknowns, um, that is when it's a great opportunity. So, you know, I'm not looking forward to those unknowns. You know, there's always risk in that and you can minimize your risk by maybe not going and buying, uh, you know, in such a rural location. My, maybe it's an inner city one where, hey, if the cash flow is not there on Airbnb, at least I can turn it into a long term rental. Right, right. And um, that's why I am looking a little bit more internal. If people stop traveling because of whatever, if, if the recession does really happen or if these things do really come to come to truth, I'm prepared for that. I have, I have yeah. a, a, a plan B. But those are just unknowns and those are speculations. And so you can do your own research and and you can protect yourself against that if you're, you know, just make sure the numbers are right and you can cash flow on worst case numbers. Right. And so whenever I'm buying my Airbnb, I'm not looking at best case scenarios. Best case scenarios are exciting. But <laughs> worst case scenario, if I have to lower my rates, can I rent this thing out? Not 50 or 60 percent of the month. Can I rent it out 25 percent of the month? And can I break even and can I stay afloat until the market comes back? You know, that that's the biggest lesson you need to prepare for is worst case scenario. Can I survive? Can I at least pay the mortgage? It might not be a home run cash on cash return, but can I pay the mortgage? Can I pay down the principal a little bit? Can I get the tax benefits from it? Hey, I'm OK with these things during this time. And then when when everything comes back, then it'll be a great investment. I love that. That's such a such a smart idea. Right. Like, and yeah. As, as I've said before on this podcast, but I'll, it bears repeating, as Mel Brooks would say, hope for the best, expect the worst. Correct. <laughs> yes. Oh, Adam. Well, thank you so much. I think you've given uh, me and the audience a lot of really great tips here. We always wrap up the show with a little game. It's called Who, What, Where. Okay. Uh, so to start off, who, apart from yourself, and we'll talk about that next, would you recommend anyone who is looking to become a host or just become an investor, um, listen to, read, where would they go for advice? 
Man, I think the people I'd probably suggest might be controversial because they they're, <laughs> they're kind of bold the way they teach I, and the I way like they talk. I like a little controversy. Let's you know? do this. And there's bits and pieces of everybody I agree with and I don't fully agree with because I feel like they have an agenda as their professionals in training and getting their target audience. Right. But right. two people I will give a shout out to. It is I do love Grant, watching Grant Cardone and I like his podcast and I like uh, a lot of the stuff he does. Obviously, if you can get onto Deeper Pocket Podcasts, um, I love every one of those guys and what they're talking about. I feel like that's real and raw. Another guy I like to follow on Instagram and TikTok is Chris Crone. Uh, he's a guy out of Utah. Um, he does a lot of the burst strategy. He does a lot of this, but I feel like he's very knowledgeable. He has a lot of experience. He's been through highs and lows of the real estate market, but obviously he's trying to get you to invest with him. So you got to take it with a grain of salt and <laughs> listen to what he's saying. Um, if you don't want to just send him your money, you know, and, and you want to invest on yourself. So invest it in your own way instead of sending somebody else for money and letting them manage your money. So those are two or three podcasts that I would jump on right now and start listening to just what they're saying. I feel like they're credible sources and I feel like it's good knowledge just out. I love that. Yes. And just like everything in life, right? We've got to take it with a, a slight grain of salt. Correct. All righty. The next one is what? So what do you wish you knew when you were 22? <laughs> Golden question. About real estate, not everything. <laughs> I, that was only a year ago though right i'm only 23 no i'm just I, I figured well you look yes exactly <laughs> so i'm i'm 39 years old okay so if i go back to 22 years old uh, um that's a long time right and yeah. i actually teach this to my sales guys all the time when i was 22 i made a, the best mistake ever which was buying real estate in 2008 2009 right <laughs> it was my biggest mistake i've ever made because i lost 160 thousand dollars worth of equity the second i bought it but the numbers made sense. It rented out, cash flowed enough to just break even. So I was able to hold on to that property through the recession until everything came back. And then I was able to profit $200,000. I actually sold that property in 1031 did in, into one of my multifamilies. But if I were to go back <laughs> and, and tell myself, hey, you know, kick myself in the butt and tell, tell myself what to do, I would have bought more properties, but I would have never sold any of my properties. I've sold five Ooh. properties. Just as there are primary residences, you know, I was like, hey, I could sell this, cash out, go get a better house. I wish I would have never sold them. Um, I wish I would have done HELOCs on them. Or I wish I would have done cash out refinances and just held on to the asset. Because you look 17 years later, what those properties would have been worth. My first house was 300000 I cashed out at 500000 I thought that was a home run. Like, holy smokes, I made a ton of money off this house. That house right now is going for eight fifty nine hundred, And so it's just... If I would have just held on to that, the greatest trick to wealth and the fastest way to build your net worth is through equity of your real estate. So appreciation of your real estate. So I think anybody that could give you advice to go back is never sell your real estate. As long as it's cash flowing and, and you know, making at least a payment, hold on to it. You know, you build that net worth long term. Oh, man. Well, you're affirming my hoarder tendencies because I'm already like I'm very attached to my. Pro I'm like, mm, we're this is just for the rest of our lives. Like we'll give them to our children. It'll yes. be fine. Generational wealth. <laughs> I love that. All right. The last part, of course, is where. So if you could hop back in that time machine to 22 and hold on to a property, where would you have purchased or invested or even just become an Airbnb host? It's really broad. It is really broad. Uh, one of the markets, <laughs> one of the markets I kicked myself into just even five years ago, where I was looking at it and I was like, I was like, I should buy a, a house here, right? And and just seeing what the real estate market did, is Seaside Beach, Florida, or Destin Beach, Florida. I think 
everybody from Utah and Colorado to, to here in Texas, they vacation in Destin or Seaside Beach, Florida. And so it's already a saturated market, but the homes, when I was there five years ago, they were going for 800,000 to a million. And so it was obviously a stretch for me. And I was just like, that's a big house, you know, for your first Airbnb or whatnot. Now those homes are going for $2 million. And it's like, holy smokes, I could have just made a million dollars by buying that property. And I think <laughs> that's everywhere. I think everybody listening to this podcast, if you go back 15 years ago, if you just buy that property and hold on to it 15 years, you'd look back and be like, holy smokes, that, that was the best investment I could have made. Just because that, uh, that appreciation is going to be there in 15 years. 100%. Yeah. Like if you can do it in it to win it. I know. I always wish I'd gone back to like convincing my dad to buy like just property in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, when I was in college in New York, because it was, you know, it was still not on the map. Oh, yeah. anyway. St. George, Utah is probably the one that got away. Cause I was, I was in Utah going to school and I went to school down in St. George, Utah. I lived down there playing baseball. It was a hole in the wall. It was nothing. And now it's like one of the most saturated Airbnb markets there is. It's just everybody has a vacation home or a summer home in, in St. George. It's oh, crazy. Goodness. My goodness. Well, until we invent uh, our time machine, I guess we'll just have to look at the data and learn from these. Learn these, from it. These mistakes. And they're not even really mistakes. They're just these, you know, the things that led us to where we are today. Correct. Um, as 40 year olds. I'm also 40. I talk a lot about how I'm 40. Um, I'm dealing with it through this podcast. Think, uh, <laughs> okay, we all have to cope with it someday. Yeah, we, we have to cope with it somehow. Yeah. Uh, I love this. Well, Adam, this has been fabulous. Um, before I bid you adieu and stop torturing you, uh, I would love to know where can our listeners get, if they want to know more about what you're up to and how can they follow you, where should they go? I'm, I'm working on some stuff. And uh, obviously, the more time I invest into TikTok or Instagram, the more creative, you know, my entrepreneur mindset gets about this, this stuff. But I love that. Uh, on TikTok, I have 180,000 followers. So I, I don't know why TikTok for me is more popular. Um, but I'm just this logo right here at top one percenter. That's that's my hashtag on TikTok or my account on TikTok on Instagram. It has an underscore. Somebody already has top one percenter somehow. So at top one percenter underscore. That's me. Um, and I do post a lot of real estate stuff, even though I'm in sales and that's what I do. That's my earned income. All my sales reps and, and guys making a professional income want to know how to turn that earned income into passive and forever income and generational wealth. So uh, that's what I like to teach. That's what I like to talk about. So if you're into that and you want to learn how to take a normal job and normal income and turn it into passive income and a passive income lifestyle, you know, give me a follow. And that's that's stuff I'm going to always be talking about. I love that. I also love that you called it forever income. I like that. Mailbox money. Yeah, mailbox. Ooh, mailbox <laughs> money. These are these are all, these are all going to work their way into a TikTok already. <laughs> well, yeah. I enjoy your TikToks, um, and Adam, I've enjoyed so much talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me today, and and happy New Year, and let's have a wonderful 2023, shall we? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.